Hi, welcome to Broadway Assembly Church Podcast. We are excited for you to be joining us today. If you want to get a notification of the most recent uploads, please subscribe to our podcast. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you enjoy. ...himself and God, even our Father, which hath loved us and hath given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. Amen to that. Father, thank you for your word. Make it come alive to our spirits and our minds, our lives this evening. Thank you for it in Christ's name. Everybody say amen. Everybody say hold fast. That's what he said. That's what Paul told them. Hold fast. God bless you. You can be seated. That's why we called this lesson Strengthening Our Grip. In 1887, the coffin of Abraham Lincoln was pried open to determine if it truly did contain his body. What makes that act so interesting is the fact that Lincoln's body had rested in it for 22 years. Yet even more amazing is that 14 years after that, another rumor circulated that Lincoln's coffin was actually empty. Again. So the controversy so gripped our country that the only way to silence the rumors was what? Dig up the coffin a second time. I mean, let the poor guy rest. I think I read today a total of five times through history. They have had to do that. So it was done for this second time, and the rumor silenced for the second time when obviously they had witnesses there to view his lifeless body. And I thought, baseless rumors can sure wreak a lot of havoc, and they can sure create a lot of work. And today, you know, the internet, it's a wonderful tool. It really is. But it also has created a super highway for sharing these baseless rumors. Uh, And then to compensate that fact, uh, entire websites have been designed to set the record straight to squelch the rumors because how many know unfortunately rumors are here to stay and today and evidently in Paul's day rumors were one of the biggest threats to confident Christian living we've all been there we think we are certain about a matter and then all of a sudden we, we hear a rumor that says otherwise and almost immediately it's like our confidence nosedives into the basement so to speak and question marks replace uh, certainty maybe you've experienced it in the workplace a rumor circulates that the company you work for is going to lay off people or going to shut down it's like the workers who were once confident and secure in their position 
now suddenly are thrown into panic. I mean, you know what I'm talking about? Because rumors always produce uncertainty, insecurity, and anxiety. And rumors in the workplace destroy morale and productivity. And it's been said, I read this some time ago, it said some people will believe anything if it's whispered in their ear. How many know that can be a fact? And I say this because rumors about the return of Christ and the end time had caused a large-scale church-wide panic and alarm among the believers at Thessalonica. The big rumor circulating in the church there was that Christ had already returned and his judgment, known as the Great Tribulation, was already being poured out. And Paul writes this second letter that we're studying to quickly squelch these baseless rumors, okay? And to stop them from creating such panic and pandemonium in and among the believers there. You know, I love the church. I find my life's greatest privilege in serving the church. But sometimes, how many know the brutal truth is rumors and gossip often find fertile soil to germinate and grow in the church? Oh, yeah. And unfortunately, the church can be a welcoming place where rumors are repeated rather than rejected. And uh, one church's Sunday bulletin gave the pastor's sermon topic for that morning is just simply gossip. And immediately listed below that was the closing hymn. And of all hymns, it was, I love to tell the story. While that hymn concerns telling the story of the gospel, how I many know all too often God's people can sometimes love to tell somebody else's story? And I think that along with pride, gossip, you know, they're probably one, some of the most tolerated but yet most destructive sins in the modern church. And people today lose their minds in the face of rumors in the same way these folks at Thessalonica was being tempted to do. And so... Tonight's uh, passage that we have uh, read contains some of Paul's insightful words for the young church after he had debunked the rumor that Christ had returned and then missed it, okay? So it's helpful to remember that these believers, uh, they're first generation believers here. Uh, they probably had not been a church there in Thessalonica for too awful long. They had recently been rescued from a form of paganism. They were under persecution. They were under pressure to leave Christ and the gospel and really basically go back to their old lifestyle. Okay, And that's why Paul prays for them down in verses 16 and 17, which we'll get to in a few, uh, that they would be encouraged and stabilized okay, in the Lord. Okay, so uh, we'll get there in a few, but Paul's words speak to us uh, even today here in the 21st century, words that he spoke to them back then. Let's look at them. I think it's on your uh, study guide, Roman numeral one, uh, a five-fold reality to believe, okay? He's going to give us some things to do here in this passage. So the first one is a reality to believe and that is verses 13 and 14, and how it lays out for us five, everybody say five, 
five stages or five steps in our salvation in the broadest possible sense that Paul urges uh, us to realize, okay? And so he begins here in verse 13 by number one, here's one of the first uh, stages or steps we, we need to know, is he says, believers at Thessalonica, number one, you were loved. You were loved, okay? Because how many know salvation springs from the heart of God who loved us and gave his son for us. God saves us, church, because he loves us. We've done none, nothing worthy of his love. But he loved us anyhow. Paul in Romans 5.8 says, God demonstrateth, or really in the KJV, commendeth, which means demonstrates, his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, what did he do? He died for us. God's love for us is totally by his grace. He saved us because of his mercy. Grace is giving to us what we don't deserve, while mercy is not giving to us what we do deserve. May we never think that we were good enough to be saved, because even the best of us were without any merit whatsoever. The message of the gospel is always, God loves you. And how many know that should be the message of the church as well? God loves you. Okay, so number one, you were loved. Number two, you were not only loved, but you were chosen. Chosen. It says, God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation. So what that means is when it comes to salvation... How many know God made the first move? He made the first move by sending a Savior. And if he didn't make the first move, we would never make any move at all. God is always the initiator of salvation. God calls, we respond. God calls, we believe. God calls, we come. Okay, God wanted to populate heaven, so he sent his son to die. And then he sent his spirit to draw us with conviction. And then he gave us his word so we would know the truth. And then he gives us faith, really, to believe the gospel. And when the church goes out to preach the gospel, he goes with us. So we don't have to do it in our own power. How many know he's got all the bases covered? It's all him. Salvation from the beginning to the end is of the Lord. Amen. So, number one, you were loved, Paul says. Number two, you were chosen. Number three, you were called. He says, through sanctification of the Spirit, he called you by our gospel. This refers to the wooing of the Holy Spirit, whereby he creates in the heart of, of the lost a conviction. How many can remember that moment of conviction that preceded your salvation? Conviction of sin. It's that, it's that desire to come to Christ and be cleansed, purified. 
See, without this work of conviction by the Spirit, how many know no one would ever come to Christ? It's the Spirit, the Bible says, that draws us. So He calls us as He draws us. Number four, not only are you loved, chosen, called, but you believed. You believe the gospel. So here, we are not saved simply because God sent His Son and made a way for us to be saved. We must personally believe and profess the gospel. No one goes to heaven apart from personally believing, trusting, embracing the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. You got to believe. Then, number five, you share. You share, Paul said, in Christ's glory. To the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. This fifth and final step is yet in the future. All these other four were in the past. This one was going to be in the future for them. And for us, it's the final step in our eternal salvation. One day... We will be with the Lord in heaven. We will share in his great victory. Victory over what? Victory over sin. Victory over death. Victory over the devil. Right? In a sense, this is the whole, Paul has just given us in these five stages here, the whole panoramic sweep, so to speak, of salvation from eternity to eternity. Honestly, there's a great comfort in seeing things from this perspective because it tells us that God is not random. He has a purpose in all of history. He's not just making it up as he goes. Okay? Everything in the universe has played a part in the outworking of the plan of God. And this ought to give us confidence as we face the uncertainties of day-to-day -day life. If you believe that everything in your life is just a hit-and-miss affair, if you think that the events of each day just happen by chance, then you will become a prisoner to your circumstances. And that's a miserable life. You'll be up when things are good, and you'll be down when things are bad. However, it's best to be able to rest our minds in the knowledge that God is working out His plan for us in everything that happens. The good, the bad, the positive, the negative, the happy, and even the sad. The very best part of this is the final step in the process, which Paul says, you're going to share in the glory yet to come. That hasn't happened yet. Today, Death still reigns on planet Earth. Okay? Turn on the media and you'll hear about war. You're, you'll hear about bloodshed in many places. Why? Because death reigns. Because death has not been destroyed. If you doubt it, check out the obituaries in the newspaper. There's a whole lot of people going into the cemetery. Not a one of them are coming out. 
Hello? Death is everywhere. It's an it's appointment we cannot postpone. However, though, Paul knows, and he reminds the Thessalonian believers, that Scripture promises a resurrection. Everything hinges on what happened on that resurrection Sunday morning 2,000 years ago when Christ rose up from the dead. Life is hard for all of us. We all have questions. We all have doubts and fears and worries. Even the best among us have struggles and questions we cannot answer. Many struggle with hurts and pains, and they can hardly even express them. But Easter Sunday says, it's not over yet. Praise God. If you're a believer, history doesn't end with a question mark. It ends with an exclamation point. The message of the resurrection is our doubts are not the end of the story. Our fears, not the end of the story. Our worries are not the end of the story. Our uncertainties are not the end of the story. Our unbelief is not the end of the story. If we suffer with him, Paul says we're going to reign with him. Better days are coming because Christ rose from the dead. All right? The grave will not have the last word because one day all the children of God are going to exit the cemeteries once and for all. And between now and then, we're living on the edge of our seats waiting for that promise to be fulfilled. It's like a motion picture cliffhanger. Or at the end of the episode, it says, come back next week and see how the story ends. Because Paul says, stay tuned, child of God, because the best is yet to come. And all of the certainty and of eventual victory with our risen Lord, all of it goes back to the great purposes of God that stretch across the centuries, that span the ages and reach from eternity past to eternity future. All of it goes back to that first truth that our salvation rests not in our own worthless strength, but in the mighty hands of a God whose purposes will never fail. If we believe that God has a plan for our life, then we can find the strength we need to keep going. How many believe that? Because if you really look at Scripture, you find the sovereignty of God all through Scripture, and it should enable us to, in a sense, kind of stand up straight and know that God never, he never vacates his throne Right? He never has to go take a Tylenol. His hands are always on the control levers of life. Amen. When you, un when you understand that truth, it'll put some spitzerinkdom in your soul. You say, is that even a word? I believe it is. I ain't used it. I used to hear it growing up. Dad used to say it. Spizzerinctum. You know what it means? Courage. Energy. Gumption. Yeah. Two children of God should have that spizzerinctum. All right, so here's your homework between now and next Wednesday. I want you to use that word in conversation. Got it? All right. So what was point number one? 
A five-fold what? Reality to belief. Let's go to number two. A command to obey. If we understand the purposes of God, then we will have every motivation to obey the commands of God. Paul urges the believers to stand firm. Somebody say, hold on. Dig your heels in. Strengthen your grip. Tighten your grip. It's not enough to hear once and believe the gospel. Paul says you've got to hold on to that gospel. Why? Because there are other people and there are other faith-shaking events that will try to rob us of our gospel. The events that happen in our culture today and the words of false teachers are they're constantly bombarding our faith so that we are being pulled away from the truth of the gospel. That's why Paul says, hold on. And notice what he says, hold on to the traditions which you've been taught. Now, Paul isn't talking about traditions of the church. He's not talking about man-made traditions. Some of those man-made traditions of the church should have been abolished a long time ago. They're not inspired. They're man-made traditions that's become law, so to speak, in the church. We've always done it this way, right? Well, maybe we should stop doing it that way if it's a man-made tradition. No, what Paul is talking about here is the traditions known as the truth of the gospel, which has been handed down first orally, second written. These are not man-made traditions, but rather traditions of of truth, God's truth, a.k.a. the gospel. God's word being passed on, handed down, is what we're to hold on to, Paul says. Stand firm. Don't be distracted by persecution that we come uh, under. A quote from German theologian Otto de Bellis, a leader in the anti-Nazi resistant movement back in World War II, He said this, and I quote, I thought it was good. I quote, it says, God does not lead his children around hardship, but leads them straight through it. But he leads. That's the key. He leads, and he says, amidst the hardship, he is nearer to them than ever before. That's a great way to put it. Not around hardship, but straight through it. That being the case, we're forced to address the issue of spiritual confidence head on, or excuse me, spiritual endurance head on. Because if we want to be like Jesus, how many know we got to endure like Jesus? We need to persist under pressure as he did. If if, uh, it hasn't happened already, a time will come where you're going to find yourself just enduring. And really, if you look at the history and Christ I mean no one in history deserved to be more honored and respected than Christ yet he was treated with contempt and even put to death Otto goes ahead and writes and he says if we endure like Jesus our own body scars 
excuse me, battle scars will be righteous. Wounds of those who have taken a courageous stand against evil because our wounds will be like his wounds. Because life is a journey for all of us. And how many has found out this journey is sometimes hard? There's hard days. There's difficult days. Sometimes there are weeks, months, and years where the road seems to lead from one hardship to the next. Right? How many has been there? If we live long enough, we're all going to have plenty of chances to get some battle scars. No one gets a free ride. No one is exempt from the trouble. Right? Sometimes when we're discouraged, we can feel like giving up and walking away. But how many know we're not the first generation to face that temptation? These Thessalonians were facing it. And Paul says, stand firm, stand fast, be unshakable. Whew. Because a lot of believers are jumpy and jittery, worried, uncertain, and really, who can blame them? Because like I said earlier, if you watch the events transpiring around us, we're bound to get jittery sooner or later. Every day brings news of more attacks or counterattacks. Hey, folks, these are perilous times. No wonder so many people are on edge. But in times like these, we need to stand fast on the truth. Hold on to God's written word. Right? And when the ground seems unsteady under our feet. Paul says, remember what you've learned. Remember what you've learned. Go back to the first principles. Because good theology can save your spiritual life. Hello? Correct theology can save your spiritual life. In times of trouble, if we know the truth and we remember the truth, what we know and remember can save us from despair. Sometimes we need to go back to the first principles and remind ourselves of the things that we know to be true. Right? You say, but pastor, you're a pastor and you're supposed to say things like that. Yeah. But I say it because it's true. What we know can save us when all of life tumbles in around us. What things are you talking about? you got to go back to the first principles. Number one, God is a good God. How many can testify to that? God is a good God. How many can testify that God is faithful? He will never leave us. His mercy endures forever. 
This is no mistake. God has a purpose. He's working out his plan for us. God still loves us. The Holy Spirit still indwells us. Christ is alive right now. He's still going to return someday. Those are the basics. Sometimes all we can do is dig in and hold on. When trouble comes, sometimes that's the best thing to do. More than anything else, our generation of Christians needs to hear that word from Paul. Stand fast. Remember what you learned. Stand on the truth you already know. Take God at his word. There's no reason to quit. There's no reason to give up on God. Paul tells us, do two things with this tradition he's talking about. Number one, notice on your worksheet, stand fast. It means don't move, don't move away from it. While it's okay to move away from the traditions of man, it is not okay to move away from the truth of God's word. Satan wants us to deviate from God's word, but we are to, Paul says, stand fast. Number two, hold. Grip God's word tightly. Don't let Satan pry you loose from your faith in Christ. We might disagree on minor areas of prophecy or interpretation or church government, but we are to hold tightly onto the truth of God's word as a guiding force of our lives. Don't let go of being governed by the word of God. Stand firm means brace yourself. Brace yourself. Kind of like digging in for a game of you know, tug of war. Just got to get ready and brace yourself. Hold fast means to grab hold of something. Grip it firmly. So while our feet dig in, our hands hold on. Amen? You remember reading about Henry Dempsey? Henry Dempsey was a, uh, a pilot flying a plane one day at 4,000 feet, he heard a noise in the back of the plane where the stairs uh, were. So he turns the controls over to his co-pilot and he walks to the back of the plane. Just then the plane hit turbulence that threw him against the door of the plane and it came open. He was sucked part way out, part way out, fell face down on the steps, and guess what? Started grabbing for something. Hello. Anything, he said, that might save his life. And he caught the stair railing. And you know what he did? He held on. The co-pilot thought he had fallen out, was sucked out, and was gone. So he diverted the flight to a nearby airport. When he landed, they found Henry with his face 12 inches off the runway. But he had laid down on those stairs and held on. They said his hands had held so tight around the rails, they had to pry his fingers off. But it saved his life. How many know that life and death grip that Henry Dempsey held on the stair railing 
at the back of his plane is the kind of grip I think that Paul would say we should hold on to the teachings that's been handed to us in the New Testament. Amen? All right, number three, prayer to pray. A prayer to pray. So here we come to the last final prayer of Paul for the Thessalonians in this chapter. The context is crucial because the prayer flows. It really flows directly from the view of God's purposes, his sovereignty, and from Paul's command to them, stand fast, stand firm, hold on. So first we must remember God is the source of all power. He alone can help us in the time of trouble. All the resources of heaven are at our disposal via the Holy Spirit. Second, remember, remember what he's already done for us. He loved us. That's in the past when he gave us his son. He encouraged us. That's in the present through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He gives us hope. That's in the future when we will share in his glory, as Paul said. He solved every problem by taking care of our past, our present, and our future. So in light of that, Paul says pray for a couple things here. Pray for an encouraged heart. May God give all of us at Broadway an encouraged heart. And number two, pray for a stable heart. When we are encouraged, we will face trials of life with hope and a smile. Praise God. Spurgeon said cheerfulness ought to be the atmosphere the believer breathes. And if you believe that God loves you, he says you can't but be happy. When our heart is stabilized, we won't be swayed back and forth by circumstances and emotional mood swings. Listen, the latest headlines doesn't have to throw you for a loop. A stable heart is fixed on the Lord. It's not swaying to and fro. The mark of a stable heart, Paul would say, is consistency. We are the same because Christ is the same no matter what happens around us. And the result of the prayer is wonderful for we are able to do, he says, every good work and to say every good word the Lord wants us to say and do. Our life and our lips act in perfect harmony with Christ so that we can look at this passage and know that in a nutshell, since God has chosen and called us, we can stand fast knowing that God will encourage us and He will make us strong on the inside so that we can do all that he's called us to do and say all that he's called us to say. It's all right there. It flows together. Principle, command, and prayer. Principle, command, and prayer. So 
Stand fast. Turn to your neighbor and say, stand fast. You are greatly loved, so stand fast. You were chosen by God, so you were called to salvation, so you believe the gospel, so you will one day share in Christ's glory. You have received God's comfort, the Holy Ghost, so you have good hope by the grace of God, so praise God. Stand fast. You were established in every good word and deed. Stand fast. So if you have Christ in your heart, it'll be stable. Stable. Boy, we need stable hearts in these unstable days. Everything else won't matter. If Christ is truly in your heart. Amen? Let's stand together. Sister Jones, you can come. I'm going to land this plane. Hopefully nobody's been thrown out. Strengthen your grip tonight. Strengthen your grip. Heavenly Father, thank you for meeting with us tonight. God, you have met with us in the pages of of your word. You have engulfed us with the truth of your love, your mercy, your grace. And Father, we are grateful. We are privileged. May we be joyful. May we stand on the bedrock of your promises. Oh, God. As Paul wrote to these Believers in Thessalonica reminding them that they don't need to fear the day of the Lord. They don't need to fear the arrival of the Antichrist. So do we. We don't need to fear. In these truths that you have shown us, may we rejoice and may we stand firm. May we hold on and bring you glory. Oh, hallelujah. I want to please the Lord. I want to please the Lord. Go ahead and tell him, God, I'm going to hold on. I'm going to hold. I'm going to stand fast. I'm going to dig in. I'm going to become unmovable. I'm going to hold on, not to the traditions of man, but to the gospel. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Teach us here tonight that we can have that assurance, Lord. That assurance in our lives and in our families. Thank you, Jesus. What are you playing, Sister Jones? Hallelujah. Sing it if you can, Sister Jones. Hold to God's unchanging hand. Take some time. Build your hopes on things eternal tonight. God bless you. If you've got to go, go in the presence of the Lord.
want to come and forward, spend a few moments, talk to the Lord. You're welcome to do so. God bless you.